Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said in Theory, Should It Go Well? I've got on the line uh, Nick MacArthur, who does amazing and magical things as a sales coach and as Epic Danger, as you might know him online. And we're going to talk about bravery uh, because he's in like the top three brave people I know of all time, possibly number one at the moment, um, the jockey for position. Um, And I want you to say hello and then you hello, like as an audience, you're saying hello at this moment. And... um, and then Nick, hi. Hello, hello. Uh, before we go here. into the many, the many questions that I have, um, can you give like the like the briefest but most cohesive inch overview of kind of who you are and what you're doing at the moment? So people aren't like, yeah, I don't, I don't know who this person is. Yeah, I can do that. So I am Nick. I am also Epic Danger. Um, I am a sales coach, awesomeness expert, website critic, branding consultant guru. Uh, I also have a history of using, used to be, wow, that words didn't come out right. I had a history of being a woman previously. Now I'm a dude, so that's exciting. Um, and I write a blog. Of the very best man as well. That's what I do. That's rad. I like when you call it history of being boiling it real down. (laughs) All right. Um, And then I have questions. Like, um, I had physical questions, and I was like, no, physical things aren't as nearly as weird as, like, you got to be or get to be both genders in a lifetime, which, like, no one gets to do. And so I have lots of, like, well, it's not like <laughs> questions. <laughs> it's, um, it's a trip. It's uh, in some ways, I feel like you know, most trans people feel like they it's so unfortunate that they got born in this body and they hate it. And I, I definitely am not a fan of the body in which I was born in. However, I feel in some ways lucky to have gotten to experience both sides of the gender coin. So, makes me a better person, I think. Well, because the hardest part of, um, I've been working with Nick first as Nikki for years, and every time I saw you, you were pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so, like, you have so many babies. Oh, <laughs> so many babies. Um, <laughs> Um, so you got to do like the whole, like all the woman things. Like I haven't done that woman thing that hard, um, in the physical world really well. Um, so, so can you describe yourself as a kid? Like, would I recognize you and be like, oh, yep, I see that. Or would you be like, would I be like, no, that's like a completely different human. I don't know that person. Uh, as a kid, you would totally recognize me. I think I am really true to the, to myself. Like who I am now is very true to who I was as a kid. Um, anything before like age ten. So I was like playing with Ninja Turtles and like would come home after like I'd spend like six hours in a field collecting stray animals. Uh, are truly like my house growing up. And my my mom, well, whatever. Anyway, my house growing up, no one seemed to notice that I would just bring home a new dog or like that we had a new cat or whatever, because I just was like, oh, I was in the field, and I came home covered in dirt, and I brought three animals with me. Hope that's cool. No one knows this. is awesome. Um, and I loved Ninja Turtles, and I was really, really loud, and I was a little bit too much for everybody around me, um, which is a little bit how I'm just a little more of a nuanced version of that now, I think. But seeing me as, like, a 10-year-old to, like, a 25-year-old, you probably wouldn't really recognize me. Yeah, because I would for sure recognize the person with lots of things to take care of. It's just that you have kids instead of dogs now. It's true. I just collected um. children instead. <laughs> <laughs> and they are wonderful children. So right. when was the – was there, like, a single moment that was, like, okay, for sure I'm not a girl, or was it, like, a string of moments, or how did that – because I've obviously – um, well, not obviously, but, like, I've never had that experience of, like, I'm for sure a boy and I'm living this life wrong or differently. Like, w- what is that like? Uh, I knew it as a kid. So I it was a thing where, like, I have vivid memories of sitting on my mom's front stairs talking to my grandma about, like, I just don't understand why I can't just wear Ninja Turtle underwear. And, like, I don't understand why... I have to, like, why can't I just wear what I want to wear? Why do I have to do, and, and her being like, well, because you're a girl. And I was like, but I'm not, I don't want to be. And her, and like, in so many tears, being like, well, this is just, you can't say that. You're not allowed to say that. You're a girl, and that's who you are. And the same, I have the same memories of, like, when my dad got remarried. I threw a fit and decided that I wasn't, I wasn't going to fucking go to that thing. Because the dress that they had me wear had so much tool, and there were gloves, and, like, it was just all sorts of wrong. And, like, it was a hat, and it was, it was very terrible. Um, and, like, even the pictures, I am literally rolling my eyes on every photo from my dad's wedding that there is of me. Because it was just, like, it was, I felt so humiliated. It, it felt like they were just trying to humiliate me as an 8-year-old by putting me in stockings and gloves and hats and terrible feathered bangs. Oh, but, wow. So you were super vocal about it. Like, I don't understand. Oh, yeah. This I, was yeah I was super vocal. Yeah. Uh, and then I learned then when that I wasn't allowed to be vocal about it. That I, and I changed the words from I want to be a boy to, like, I'm a tomboy. That's just, I'm not, I'm not a girly girl. So probably around, like, seven or eight, I realized that, like, the language of, like, I don't want to be a girl. I'm a boy. 
wasn't, I might have even been earlier than that, I might have been five or six, I realized that, like, that language wasn't going to get me anywhere. But I could be a tom girl or tomboy, and, and I could fit in better. I just wasn't one of those girly girls. And so that language didn't get me in trouble. That just made me, I was, you know, fighting my parents, but it didn't actually get me actively in trouble. I where like, I don't want to be a girl, I want to be a boy. I didn't let them go over quite so well. So, and did uh, anyone at some point, let you? Did anyone let me? I mean... Did anyone let you live as you wanted? Was there, like, any refuge for, like, it's okay to be who you are here, or no? I mean, no, definitely not. I mean, it was... In the 80s, it wasn't, like, a really... I think... Growing up today, I think uh, it would have been fun, I think. Like, I mean, transgender rights and stuff like that, especially in Canada, are pretty, like, I've, no one in Canada has ever said anything mean to me about being trans. No one's ever told me that's weird or gross or anything like that now. So I think that you've come a long way, like, I feel like being trans is just the new being gay here. And so, like, being gay is not interesting anymore. Being trans is interesting, but, you know, like, it's just the new thing. I think it's different in the States. All of my terrible experiences with people have been in the States. So, um, yeah, I think, I think today it would have been different. But then it wasn't, it wasn't like that, you know. And so I definitely wasn't allowed to be... I was allowed to be a tomboy when it was appropriate. Yeah, so you found the safe way, which is to be a tomboy. And then um, when when did you decide, well, if I'm going to do this thing, if I have to be in this body, like as as a woman or a girl, then I'm going to be a woman like all the way? I mean, I think... I think that, like, it was a slow process. I, I, I think that for lots of it, it was just like, oh, well, this is what I do, and so I'm going to fit in. It was, I think as, like, a preteen and a junior higher and all that sort of stuff, it turned into just trying to fit in um, because I didn't, I didn't fit in with the girls. I always did better with hanging out with the boys. But then all of a sudden the boys were interested in the girls, and so I had to figure out how to fit in so I could be in the right side of things and just, like, not be the weird one, you know? Uh, and so I just sort of, like, I learned to like certain types of clothing and I learned to like the people, the, the girls that I was in love with, I would just be their best friend instead. And I just sort of fit in. And then I then I became all Christian-y and churchy. And so you sure as hell have to fit in there. And I think it was when I was I think it was probably like anytime someone would think I was a boy because I had shorter hair, I would be super offended and super upset with them. And I think the truth was is that I was like, hey, I'm working really fucking hard to be a girl here. Don't you see that? How... You found my cover. I don't like this. And so I would get super, like, super upset by it and super offended by it and super grouchy and, like, I would become a dick. But it was mostly just because I was like, hey, I'm working really hard for this cover here and you clearly are not falling for it and I don't like that. 
So, come on now. But, because I answered the question. I don't know. Then I had a kid. Yeah, I got pregnant. Like you um, like cracked the code on, like, on all of it. I'm like, okay, well, if I look yeah. like this and I dress like this and I just play along, then I pass all the appropriate tests that I can get by, and then when somebody mistakes you for male, you're like, fuck. Exactly, because I was trying to pass all the goddamn tests, and this is just rude. So, and then I had it, then I got pregnant because that's what you do, and that's when I was like, okay, I have to do this. If I'm going to have a daughter, I have to do this crap. I have to figure this crap out. And so I grew my hair out long, and I, like, I joined the mom groups, and I took her to baby yoga, and I fucking joined the, what, there was, like, a, and preschool, all the preschool moms had a cool hangout, and I hung out with all the women all the time. I did all the girl things, and then I decided that, like, ooh, I really love having babies. So the way that I kept myself happy was just by continuing to have babies, you see. Uh, and then the amount of time that the happiness would last in between babies would get much smaller and smaller. So something had to give. Yeah. So take me back to preschool land, because, like, when I picture a room full of moms having preschool conversations, like, I am a fairly girly girl, and that's still like, dear God, that's hard. So did how did you navigate that? You, I have the ability to communicate very well. I am very, my empathic ways allow me to know exactly when people are comfortable and when they're not, and when I said something that makes them feel good and when it doesn't. And I know how to like, I know when I'm passing and when I'm not based almost entirely on being able to feel the room. And so you just learn to play the game, right? Like, I don't know. You just sort of... Yeah, but what did that do oh. to your interior life? Did you have an interior life, or did that just have to get kind of... No, I had all that shut off, remember? <laughs> remember I had all that shut off when we met. I'm like, no, no, I don't have feelings. They don't... I don't... No, we shut those down a while ago. <laughs> right, well, that's what I'm getting at, is that... When I yeah. met you, I immediately, so it was a serious ship, and I pulled Billy, my best friend, into the other room, and I was like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Because um, you had this massive, like, shell orb situation around you. But how did that, how did that shell orb that was like, I'm not feeling these things, where did that start, and how did that develop along the way? Like, do you know when that started, or was it just like a slow aggregation? I think it was a slow aggregation. I think that probably, in hindsight, I can look at it and go, oh, it was probably when I decided that I needed to, like, fit the mold better, and that was killing me even as, like, a 12-year-old. And so I think that that's probably when I was like, hey, now, this isn't working. I'm going to have to shut this shit down if I'm going to live this way. And I, so I did. And I did it quite successfully. I think that if I hadn't turned, like, I mean, you know in hindsight, you know now that, like, oh, I want to turn my feelings back on and actually feel that I had some. And that's uncomfortable. But I think that I probably could have gone along doing the exact same thing, having very little feelings, um, for decades, feeling like 
well, these are the things that are supposed to make me happy, and I have them. I have the, the big house and the fancy car and the husband and the kids and have all these things. And I knew that I wasn't happy, but I wasn't excruciatingly unhappy because I had just turned my feelings off. It was a lot of numbness. Mm. So you had a lot of numbness and you had babies and they made you happy. And so They made me happy. So what what yeah. more does, what more can you want in life? Just you know, I don't know. So what was it like what was it like to start feeling again? Even just a little bit. I mean, you know, I I truly I think the first time I had like true like oh I don't I'm feeling everyone else's feelings including my own because I don't know how to whatever or one of the people at Searship who is a really good friend of mine had intense feelings about something and afterwards I was like I don't know how to deal with that because I just want to die and I don't like it and I hate you for it and it's your fault Kristen god damn it and uh, I don't like these feelings bullshit and it's super uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable to actually feel your feelings. But as time goes on and you get more comfortable with feeling your feelings, you can actually let them guide you to change your feelings into happiness instead of angst and sorrow and pain. But if you yeah, which don't was, have which your feelings turned on, you don't have that inner compass towards happiness, you know? Yeah, so that leads us right to you, your feelings start to turn on. Um, and it isn't like the pretty picture where you're just like, oh, I have these kids in the husband and life is fucking perfect. They end. It kind of did the exact opposite. Yeah, I was like, um, Ooh, I'm full of resentment and anger and uh, unfulfillment. And that's not fair because my husband actually is a really decent guy and he is nice and kind and whatever. I mean, it was not like our marriage was perfect for many reasons, uh, the part where I was attracted to women was one of them. And <laughs> just a, just, it's just a small factor. Um, yeah. But, like, he, he's a nice guy, you know. Uh, and so I shouldn't hate him like this. This is not fair to him, but he's, you know, uh, which like, okay, well, something has to change. And I think that I had made it about it was his fault. He needed to change. And the truth was, was that it was just pretty much my fault. And I needed to change, but I needed to change more than, like, just the way our relationship was structured or his working hours or whatever. I, I was like, oh, I, I, yeah, I really am interested in vaginas. This is a problem for our marriage. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. Uh, and then I fell in love with somebody and was like, oh, okay, yeah, I really am. Uh-huh. This is not just theoretical mm-hmm. stuff. Something has to give. And then everything Yeah, gave. so you went from... You went being married with four babies to being divorced and then remarried in the space of how how many months? So, um, it was 17 months. Yeah. And how, when we're talking about, so the whole reason that I'm talking to you is because of brave. Did it feel like, mm-hmm. did, it, did any of that feel brave or did it just feel like, no, this is what has to happen? 
Uh, I mean, all of it felt great. I think in hindsight, if, or if I look back on things, I guess, the braver thing to do, I don't think I was my biggest, bravest self. I think I was still really big and brave, but I wasn't my biggest, bravest self. My biggest, bravest self would have left my husband before having fallen in love with somebody else. My biggest, bravest self would have done it um, a, lot, a little more gracefully, I think. Mm-hmm. And it, I knew that I should have left before. It just, it wasn't, that was seemed really hard and undoable. And, and I convinced myself that, like, no, no, I'll just, I will, I will figure out how to be happy. I just need to figure out how to be happy. And the problem was is that I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite um, come to terms with the fact that, like, oh, the only way that I can be happy is not here. And the only way that he can be really happy eventually one day is with me not here, too. I wasn't brave enough to, like, do that because I had kids. And, I mean, I think when I realized it, I was I was already pregnant with my fourth kid. And so I was a stay-at-home mom. Well, I'm not a stay-at-home. I was a work-from-home mom. He made way more income than I did. And what would, what would happen to our kids and what would happen to our life and what would, you know, and I, I don't, I think I convinced myself that I was doing the best thing for all of us. And the truth is, is the bravest thing to do would have been to leave then, and I didn't do that brave thing. But I did, I mean, I could have, I, I think I could have been way less brave, and I could have, you know, fallen in love with Anna and just carried on with my life and either not pursued the love of my life at all, or I could have done it in a really sneaky, terrible way that would have been even more hurtful and whatnot. Um... I could have done things a lot less brave. I, it was terrifying, though, to leave my husband and have to completely support myself and kids and to move out of my nice big house and into a much smaller rental and to get rid of my nice fancy car and drive a minivan and to amp my business up to actually support myself instead of just doing it. I mean, I I made decent money. I made more than I would have made in, like, a regular office job. I didn't make enough to support myself and four kids previous to leaving my husband. And so there were a lot of really uncomfortable, brave things that had to happen. Yeah. And then um, shortly after you started your relationship with Anna, um, you decided to transition. And did that, did that, like, how did that, <laughs> there's so many questions mm-hmm. around, like. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I, that was also really like, great. Right. But I imagine that it's like a cliff, like that's a, there's no going back sort of place. And so what pushed you off that cliff versus, like, I could just sort of stay in this zone where, I present as male to male. I, mean, I could have been, a, but it's okay. Yeah, I could have been a very androgynous butch lesbian. I could have totally done that, and I think that would have been the comfortable place for Anna. I think. Um, I mean, it was a lot of little conversations. It was a lot of like, hmm, this feels. It's, I'm noticing that this feels good to me versus this. I'm noticing that that this feels good to me instead of this. I'm noticing that this feels good to me over here instead of this, and her being like, okay, I can do that. Yeah, okay. 
okay? And then, like, being like, no, actually, I don't want to be androgynous. I truly feel like I'm I'm a man. Like, I, it is not, it's not, and, like, I always say that, like, the moment you have one, like, little, like, okay, I, like, I remember deciding that I was going to get rid of all my women's clothing. And so I came home and I emptied my closet and I felt so good to be like, okay, I have eight articles of clothing, but I feel good in those articles of clothing. This is the ultimate capital <laughs> wardrobe. Um, yeah. And that felt really great. And then, like, two weeks later, it was like, okay, that's not enough. I need to do this other thing. I don't even know what it is right now off the top of my head. But, like, okay, that's um, – and so it was a thing where, like, I would I would get this next little bit of masculinity or this next thing that felt good, and then all of a sudden I would be even more hungry for the next thing. And I, it was a thing where, like, okay, it probably took, probably took four months, maybe six months of working. We, our, we had a couple of therapists, Anna and I, that we just were looking up therapists in Calgary for LGBTQ couples and... Um, our therapist came up, and it was great. And it turns out, like, six months in, that, oh, well, like, part of a very large portion of her clients are people that she's helping transition. And so that sort of, like, it was like, oh, okay, uh-huh. But I didn't know that until I was like, so um, I think that um, – I think that I'm a man. She was like, well, I've been waiting for you to say it for about four months now, so good job. Like, <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, it was definitely more like she had already seen all the signs. And, and it was funny because Anna was like, so you're just going to, like, like recommend, because like, uh, she put a referral into an endocrinologist for me to start hormone replacement therapy. And she was, Anna was like, but shouldn't there be, like, a test or something? Like, don't you have to, like, they're very intense surveys and like psychoanalysis and like and and our therapists like like I work with trans patients every single day and I've been working with you for six months like weekly I like I don't need a test for this like I could have told you this month ago but if you want me to like ask you some questions so you feel like it's official like I could is that would I, and it was just a really like oh, okay, someone else from the outside that sees us all the time is pretty, like, who's just waiting for me to say the word, you know? Um, yeah, and, like, the same answer. Saying the word like, to the lab. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, this, I'm like, oh, do I have different blood makeup? Can you just test this? Just take a sample, and uh, then we'll know for sure. There's no definitive <laughs> you're this or you're that. And even <laughs> on the trans spectrum, there are, there's a huge... It is, it's a spectrum. Like, lots of people feel more gender fluid, but they identify more on the masculine side or more on the feminine side. There's, the trans world is very, it's really fluid. I, I mean, Anna would have really preferred if I had stayed identifying as androgynous. She, she is, she feels really, um, she has a really very much grieved the fact that she is queer. Like, like, okay, she went from being in a queer relationship where we were lesbians to, like, from the outside looking in, no one knows. It's like part of her identity has gone missing. It's like, it's all of a sudden, I don't know, I don't know, she wasn't smart anymore. Could, like, I don't, I don't know, what, I don't know exactly what part of her would be feeling missing, but I think everyone identifies themselves as certain things. And being 
bisexual was one of the things that she identified as. And now we were in this wonderful queer relationship where it was like people saw us and you could, it was like, I don't know, you walk through and you're like, oh, you're my people. And you see people in the store and you're like, yeah, we know each other because we're like, I don't know, do you know, do you know that Jeep people, whenever they see each other driving, they wave to each other because it's like, we're it's the Jeep family. It's kind of like that with the queer family. But now no one sees us and thinks we're queer. Everyone thinks we're just a heteronormative couple. And a little bit of her identity is lost in that, which is hard. And I mean, a little bit like she fell in love with me as a woman and she misses my voice and which is not it does not sound the same anymore and she misses my smooth skin and there's lots of things that she misses she misses uh i mean her book club in portland is all women and it was great because she could bring along her partner and now i i don't quite fit in that spot anymore so there's there's just lots of things that are different for her and I love her so much that if she had asked me not to transition, I probably wouldn't have. Hmm. Fortunately for me, she loves me enough that she would never have asked me not to transition. So, yeah, it's yeah. scary. Yeah, it's scary to know that, like, oh, this could make me lose the person that I, I changed my whole life for and that I loved more than anything. Because, I mean, if you look at the statistics of relationships, it's not great for people transitioning. Um, they often they don't last, and people become different. And if, I mean, our therapist says that that often happens because people aren't transitioning as a couple. That it's like, oh, I secretly have been dressing up as a woman for 20 years of our marriage. Now I can't do that anymore. I've started therapy, a hormone replacement therapy. Jump on board, and that's very different than the way that it happened for us. It was very much the two of us making decisions together and exploring things together, and yeah. Yeah. So Not what sure. has been? I'm way right off the topic there. No, no, no. It's okay. So that's been like way harder than anticipated in terms of the not thinking. Well, I wouldn't necessarily think like to do that. You have to do it as a couple, and then there's so much that goes into that. But what has been um, not as hard as you thought about this whole um, the process that you're still undergoing, but sort of the whole mm-hmm. transition process? What was like? Oh, that's probably gonna be hard. And then you were like, actually, it's not so bad. Um. I think like lots of things that were really hard at the beginning have become not hard now. So like things like using the men's bathroom. When I was androgynous, I think it was 10 times harder because I didn't know what bathroom to go in and no matter where I went, I was screwed. And now, uh, I, I'm because I'm gendered as male by strangers, I don't think I've been misgendered for like months now. Um, I just go into the men's bathroom and it's, it literally is it's no big deal. It doesn't, it doesn't stress me out. It doesn't whatever. And I think that six months ago, I couldn't have imagined that there was a time that I could go into the men's bathroom without feeling like dying. Or go to, going into any public bathroom without feeling intense anxiety and stress and ass. So there was a turning point on that for me um, in that situation. But that is a lot easier than I thought it would be. Mm, what else? 
I am surprised at how quickly my male privilege has has like reprogrammed. Yeah, talk to me about that because I'm all like, yeah, I so that's kind of interesting. Now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the thing where like, as much as like, okay, transgender people are a disadvantaged group, and if you look at the like, looking at mental health statistics, looking at average income, looking at so many things, the transgender uh, community is really disadvantaged in so many ways. Um, but once you pass as male, truly, my life is just people listen to what I have to say more. People um, expect that when I talk, it will be important or of interest, and they listen in a way that didn't happen when I was female. Um, people just respect you more. People think that I make more money than my wife, even though she crushes me on her income. Uh, people bring the bill to me. People compliment me on having such a beautiful wife. People, like, yeah, it's, uh, and you start to, like, expect that people will listen to you when you talk now. It's this, it's this thing that, like, I used to expect that I would have to fight really hard and I would have to have thought, really thought out my, um, really thought out my argument before speaking about something because I only had one chance if someone was going to listen, you better fucking make it count. And now I can just talk about anything, and people just take it as, like, well, that, you said it, so it must be true, um, which is really fucking scary, right? Like when you think about it, you're like, that's not right. Uh, but it, it, it happens. It's the truth. And so I don't have to think about using my words more wisely anymore. I don't have to control my temper or my emotions anymore because – when you're a woman and you have extra emotions or temper or whatever, you are seen as being hysterical and just being a worked-up girl. And whereas when you're a man and you're, you're passionate about something, you are seen as being passionate about something and you're, you're mad as hell and you have every right to be. Like, it's a really strange, strange thing. It's... Yeah, it's really strange. And is that the biggest difference between um, living as a male and living as a female, or is there something that's even bigger than that, um, aside from physical differences, but like living in society differences? Um, what's been the biggest surprise there? Uh, I think it's a combination of I didn't realize that the testosterone and the biological makeup of my body would make me feel I am I'm way, it's way easier for me to say what I want. It is my, I feel as though my wants are absolutely more urgent than they were before. Previously, it would be like, well, this is what I, this is what I want. But, I mean, it's not, I, I can do without. I'm not even going to ask for it because I should, like, you know, everybody has things they want in life, whereas now I'm like, well, this is what I want, and I'm at least going to tell you that it's what I want. And, like, I shouldn't, I'm not going to feel bad about wanting it. Whereas before, I definitely was like, oh, I, I would like this thing. And I feel, I feel just guilty and ashamed for wanting so much and being such a greedy person. And now I'm like, well, of course I want this thing. And even if I can't have it, I'm at least going to tell you that I want it. Yeah, I'm going to let you know I'm upset that I can't have it. God damn it. Uh, and I don't, I think that it's actually more like a biological chemical makeup of my body than it is nurture. Because I noticed the difference much earlier on 
than what society is treating you. I know this could get them fucked up. How gender is moving most often. Fascinating. Super fascinating to me. Um, so when we talk about you in sales and selling things and mm. helping other people sell things, um, what what does it look like to be brave in sales for the peeps that you work with? I mean, I think it is really different uh, depending on, like I, I've noticed it's really different depending on gender. So I have, now that I'm a guy, guys actually work with me now, which is a thing that didn't happen before. Previously, I'm like 99% of my clients were female. And mm-hmm. if I did have a male client, it was a fight the entire way because innately they knew better than me because they had a dick. And now, uh, I, I would still say that like 80% of my clients are female, but I do work with men often now. Um, and it's alarming to me how I have to, like, there's very different things that I have to say to women in sales. So women with sales, 98% of it, it's just that they don't actually believe that they're worth the, thing, the money that they're asking for something. Even if that money is a dollar, they don't believe that, like, oh, I couldn't, like, I don't know. And they're looking for someone to tell them and convince them that they are good enough to ask that price so they can believe it and so they can say it out loud. With men, it's about, okay, I need to, te- I need to teach you how to alter your language in a way that doesn't feel so cocky and confrontational and elitist. So you can actually sell someone or something. With women, it's about I need to teach you to be more confident and more cocky and more elitist in order to get you to sell something. <laughs> and so, it's, depending on who I'm working with, is very much different in how I teach people how to be great. So, and with men, I am teaching them to be brave by being vulnerable. And with women, I am teaching them to be brave by being vulnerable. It's a really, it's a very different thing. Uh, I mean, I had a client the other day that really, like, it hit me mostly because they were just, they just weren't sure that they were actually, they should even be doing this. Were they even good enough to be calling themselves a photographer? And, like, their work was great. It wasn't like, they're not Jonas Peterson. They're not Sam Blake yet, you know, but like they have they have good work that is they are we're not charging and very like they they deserve more than what they were giving themselves credit for. And like really all she was hiring me for was to tell her that. Because now that she has that confidence she feels like she can go out and actually charge the charge even what she's currently charging, you know? Um, yeah. And teaching them language around that. I mean, even I, you always say that I'm the best person you've ever met. And the truth is, is that I was always really good at selling other people's things. I always had a really hard time selling someone. As a photographer, I could, once they had booked me and they had paid their, their session fee, I could sell them $3,000 in photos because I had created the product when I was selling the product at that point. I wasn't selling myself anymore. But getting people mm-hmm. to put down the money on the session fee was really difficult for me because I was making them take a chance on me. I was selling them myself. 
And so I can understand I had been in that spot where I didn't feel like I was good enough to even ask that, you know. But I can sell, yeah. and I can, I can sell seats to anyone else's thing, no problem. I can sell you a physical product all day long because I have confidence in, in those things. But selling myself was really hard. And now I don't have a problem selling myself. I'll just say, I can do this for you and I can do this for you. And if you want those things, then great. Here's the dollar amount that I'm in charge. And it's more than everyone else, but I'm better than everyone else, so it's fine. If you don't want those things, then go spend half the money with someone else and come back and spend your money with me in six months anyway. I'm good. Either way, I'm happy. I couldn't have done that previously. Yeah, I find it interesting that it's gendered because I have no male clients. And it's not because I've ever said, I've never said, like, dude, only the ladies come to me. It's because yeah. dudes won't come to me because I'm not a dude. The end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing. that What I've noticed from being in the locker room, so to speak, is that it's not even, it's not even because you're not a dude. It's because how strong of a woman you are is very threatening to men. They just you have to you have to be a very secure man to to there's some sort of like weird socialization that's happened that like strong women are scary to men. And you have to be really secure in yourself as a man to allow yourself to work with a strong woman and let her dominate you because Everything that society has told men is that they should always be the dominant ones when it comes to the women. Mm-hmm. And so it, it takes a lot. I mean, Anna always jokes about how, like, she hadn't dated anyone for years. And I'm like, yeah, because that's because everyone thought you were straight. And she's like, well, I'm, I wasn't. I just, I'm like, yeah, I know, but everyone thought you were. And you were way too strong of a woman for most men to step into a room with because you do not put up a shit, and that is a scary thing, because men are full of shit, and I, I am, well, I am a man, I am, that is my chosen gender, even though it makes Anna somewhat furious sometimes, um, because she's like, but sometimes men are the bad team, and I'm like, I know, but sometimes they're the good team, it's like saying that, like, sometimes white people are the bad team, often, turns out all white people aren't terrible, so, you know, like, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Um, I just got on a weird tangent there. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, but it, it's very, it's, it's difficult for men to submit to women. It, just, it feels unnatural in some sort of strange way. It's scary. Yeah. No, thank but you for that insight. I'm like, if you think of your clients who are dudes, they're probably some of the very best dudes you ever met, right? When I think of like, yes. when I think of the dudes that you work with, I'm like, ooh, they're the best dudes that I know. Um, yeah, that's my tangent. No, it wasn't a tangent at all. Yeah, because they're not afraid. They're just a whole human, and then other whole humans are willing to work with whole humans, and then it's less about yeah. like, but you're a girl. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of women don't want to work with men either because they feel too intimidated. They feel like they can't be themselves. They, it's, it doesn't just go like, oh, men don't want to work with women because they're assholes. It also goes, women don't want to work with men because they're not secure enough. It really does go both ways. Yeah. 
there's this, this whole gender thing. It's like this crazy mind-blown thing. I'm like, I'm going to go back to the university and take gender studies because this shit's crazy. Um, and the way we communicate is very different. And the way we feel safe is very different. And most men don't know how to make women feel safe. And most women don't know how to make men feel safe. Well, did you, I mean, you can just enlighten me. How do, how do women make men feel safe and how do men make women feel safe? Uh, I mean, I think part of it is just that that women have been socialized to feel like men are going to think that they're silly little women, whether that man is doing that or not. So it's, it's kind of part of it is just having to go in with the understanding that, like, oh, you, you have certain prejudice whether you want to or not, because you've been trained that way. And going in knowing that, like, your client has certain prejudice because they've been trained that way. And so if you are a man working with women, you have to make sure that they know from the very get-go that you respect them and that you think that their input is valuable and that they're not silly and that their feelings aren't silly. And if you are a woman working with men, you have to go in letting them know that, like, I don't know what you have to do. I think that men just have to get over it. But I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to make men feel safe. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. I'm like, I think that men just have to get over their shit. I think that it's the spot where men have to grow, and I think that women have to grow in their confidence as well. I don't know. But I know as I'm now being gendered male that, like, part of what I have to do with my clients is let them know that I don't think that they're silly and I don't think that their feelings are stupid. And I do think that what they have to say is important because all of a sudden I have subconsciously switched in their minds from being on the safe female side to being on the slightly intimidating, scary man side. And so if I don't go in and let them know that I think that they're valuable and what they have to say is important and that I'm listening and that their feelings aren't silly, then I've lost from the very get-go. Hmm. So dudes, if you want to work with women let them know that they're important and what they have to say is important and that their feelings are important and that they're not silly. But not in a patronizing way because that's terrible also. Ooh, yes, it's tricky. True. Because I don't think that you need to know, Kristen, that you're, what you have to say is important, that your feelings aren't silly. You are not the kind of woman that has that, has that issue. Um, and Anna is not the kind of woman that has that issue. But, Many, many women are. So knowing it, I think it's it's just like any other social interactions. You have to know your audience as well. Of course, I think that's a good insight. So are you ready for the lightning round? Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, in general, you wish you would see more blank in business more bravery, but I know that that's so corny because that's your thing, but I think it's true. People being a little more ballsy, taking more risks, I am a little less safe. I like ballsy. I like I like that ballsy. as a as a word. Um, pie or cake? No. Pie. Coffee or tea? Tea in the evening, coffee in the morning. If I have to pick just uh-huh. one. 
Trudeau-Wachowski. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, that's, I get it. Um, true, I was going to say Trudeau-Wachowski, but then are you secretly smug that Canada is now the world's conscience and you have the best leader in the free world? I am not secretly about it at all. I am overtly smug that uh, <laughs> we're amazing. <laughs> I'm all like, the suck Yeah. Yep. Um, for you, being brave means blank. Being honest. And being brave does not mean blank. Hiding. What gives you hope for humanity? People stepping in front of the underdog and saying, nope, not on my watch. Are there any regular brave practices that you do? Or just like shit that makes you feel brave? Uh, rock climbing makes me feel brave, but then you break your ankle doing it. You shouldn't do that. Uh, I don't know that there's any like regular like rituals or things like that that I do. Okay. Um, what is next for you and your work? Is it shape-shifting or is it kind of hanging steady at the moment? Ooh, I was thinking about the last one still. I think the one thing that I do do is that when I'm not feeling brave and I know that I need to be brave about something, I go and I look for who my being brave would help. So if I'm needing to be brave about being open about being transgender, then I go and I look at all the, like, there's a thousand trans groups or YouTube channels or whatever, and I go and I will look and be like, okay, these the 17-year-old kid whose parents are making them wear dresses to school and won't call them by their preferred pronouns and names. I need to be brave because one day their parents might read something that I write and understand their kid better. If you go and you find the people that will actually be helped by your bravery, it's easier to be brave because there's a space to it. Does that make sense? Yes, that's fucking genius. Yeah, so I spend a lot of time when I'm terrified of going and, like, looking at people who should be more terrified than me because they're going through the same thing as me and they don't have the same support system that I have. So that's how I do it. If you can put human face to it, you do it. Um, and then what am I doing next? I think, uh, I mean, what I do is always shape-shifting. What I do to make money is and support my family. I, I think it's staying pretty consistent in um, sales coaching and brand consulting and basically helping people um, to be themselves with their business and teaching them how to sell more shit. And then how I, my personal stuff, I think, will shapeshift. Um, I'm super interested in speaking about gender and how different genders have to communicate differently. I think I'm really past, I'm a very passionate feminist now all of a sudden. My new like, oh, now that I know how terrible I had it, I really need to be more passionate about this shit because just because I don't have to deal with the <laughs> mansplaining and like my work being decided by the way that I look and how many children I can bear, it doesn't mean that I can just walk away from these people 
I'm like, well, I'm on the other side now, so suck it. Like, I didn't mean that I could do that. I'm way more passionate about feminism now than I was a year ago. Um, and so probably something to, to do with that I could see creeping up quickly. And then writing at the very best man is the thing that I need to carve out more space for. But that's what's happening with me. Where can people find you on the online? Or where would you like to see for people okay. to find you? Uh, people can find me either at epicdanger.com or any sort of in, uh, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, everything is Epic Danger. Or you can find me at thevarybestman.com. Lad, is there anything that you wish I had asked or covered or talked about or been like, uh, no, we really need to talk about that? Mm, I'm going to tell you that leg hair is not all it's cracked up to be. That's what you should know. The thing that I will leave you with is that it gets tangled and sometimes it gets hurty and it, I don't know that I'm going to keep it around. <laughs> I wondered. I saw that in your Instagram photo and I was like, that's a lot of leg hair. I don't, I don't, that's yeah. got to be different. I am turning into a hairy beast of a man. And in some ways it's great. In other ways, it gets like tangled in your socks and matted. You know, you, you have long hair. I'm sure at some point in your life you've had long hair. And you, you know when you wear it up on a ponytail really like all day and then you take your ponytail out and it makes your head feel all like, oh, and it kind of hurts a little? That's how light mm-hmm. hair feels when you take your socks off. Weird. So men have been suffering in silence for years and they didn't even know. Yeah, they just didn't know any different because they have the hairy legs. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, so we didn't I know. think Nick is mad. Um, he's coming to speak at Brave because that's a thing that you can do. You can just ask people to come and they'll speak. Um, KristenKelp.com. So that's what you do when you run that shit. Oh, I thought um, No, it's okay. We're, we're good. Just we're rolling. Um, say it again. KristenKelp.com slash Brave. Nick is speaking. It's going to be amazing. And I will re-meet him there because every time I see you, it's different and you're further along in the, the path of all of this goodness. That's true. You should come and hang out, and we will maybe even drink whiskey together. I'm not promising because Kristen might have some rules about alcohol. But if she doesn't, then I will drink whiskey with you and maybe even let you see my leg hair. Because I'm a generous man like that. I'm all about consideration. I think that's fair. I think whiskey for all is a fair it's a fair thing to promise. That's acceptable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I'm like, what if you were like, oh, God, I booked the drive venue. I'm so sorry. Take it back. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So, um, thank you for listening, guys. I'm gonna hit the uh, magical staff recording button, but slash brave because you want to come to brave, and you know it. Thank you for listening. One more time, the antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine, while quietly, or not so quietly, scream-sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month, 
on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.